0: are outside really, really revving it up now.
1: Just go out there and yell at them. Like, we're trying to record a podcast.
0: Yeah, we're trying to talk filth, you filthy
1: animals. Yeah, you perverts.
0: Yeah. Fucking ruining
1: everything. Ruining my life. Yeah, they really are. No, they're not. I mean,
0: I guess it really depends on what you classify as ruining lives.
1: On and off. I'm sure they've ruined, like, lives before.
0: They probably mostly ruin their own lives Yeah There's a lot of sh- screaming
1: at each other that happens over there I feel like it's all at a dog
0: Uh, I think some of it's at a dog But I don't think all of it's at a dog
1: No, what I've heard before I was sure he was yelling at a person But then, like, I saw a dog And it seemed that's who he was yelling at
0: I, I think that the yeah. yelling can happen At various targets Including, but not limited to The dog
1: Okay. I, I don't I don't really have these problems. No, uh, you
0: know. You your I, problems occur inside your home.
1: Yeah. So when I lived in my old apartment, this lady was outside being real loud at about like eight in the morning and woke me up and I went outside and shushed her and that made her even angrier. <laughs>
0: Nobody likes getting shushed.
1: No one likes getting shushed, but you shouldn't be making all that racket at 8 a.m., especially if you were partying until 4 a.m. the night before. Yeah, for sure. They were outside my window, just in the courtyard, just hollering and grilling. <laughs> grilling? They were grilling. At one point, like they all started hollering, and like everyone like took off running.
0: Who grills at 8 a.m.?
1: Well, no, they were grilling at 3 a.m. when they were partying. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But to answer your question, people uh tailgating. I guess. Sometimes they'll grill early in the day.
0: I guess that makes <laughs> sense. I uh, mean, there's nothing wrong with grilling in the morning. I just don't associate it with, like, morning.
1: They're just grilling up some sausages, boss. Growing I mean, up a little bacon, down. but I'm Cracking
0: have... some eggs on the
1: grill. Yeah, just throwing the shells into my bush. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. I got drunk a couple weeks later and, like, overturned everything in the courtyard before I moved out (laughs) and then fell asleep on my stoop for about 20 minutes.
0: So at the end of the day, you really showed them.
1: Yeah, I deserted my dominance and then left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now you live with your parents, so.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's not a lot of dominance. (laughs) It was the most I could muster. There's, like, this little, like, mini bike that I just dragged into a bush, and then (laughs) I just, like, turned over a bench and just poured a gas can on the ground, which was probably not very safe. (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, probably not. And then I pushed, like, a big chair in front of their door, (laughs) and then (laughs) fell asleep.
0: (laughs) I think you falling asleep at the end of all, that's the funniest part of the story.
1: (laughs) I really exerted myself and tuckered myself out.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, uh, that's an update on our uh, neighbors, past and present. Yeah. That's, of course, what our listeners turn on our podcast for. Some of
1: them, for sure, I think.
0: Uh, Others probably want us to talk about classic pornography.
1: They might, uh, and today's movie is about neighbors, if you think about it.
0: Uh, it is indeed, in fact. Uh, definitely a uh, situation full of jealousy uh, between neighbors, a bit of a rivalry.
1: Yeah, a um, Rivalry. rivalry. Um,
0: but at the end, everybody gets what they want, I think. And yeah. that's what's important. It's a happy ending.
1: Yeah, so what kind of happy ending are we going to get out of your neighbor's?
0: Uh, I don't know. I think you're just gonna go over and jerk him off. Okay. Uh, so with that, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy.
1: I'm not jerking off that baby.
0: (laughs) Uh, I hope not, no. I I, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time, though, to clarify that.
1: I didn't want you to think that was what was gonna happen when I went over there. I don't think anybody was (laughs) thinking that. Okay, well, it was in my head, so I just wanted to clear the air.
0: (laughs) fair enough uh speaking of really strange situations uh today we have a fairly strange film to speak about uh we're continuing franco february the madness continues
1: yes uh today right now
0: uh yes
1: it's unfolding for your eyes
0: uh, we're skipping about 10 years into the future. Uh, we're talking about 85, I believe.
1: 85, 86. I usually go by whatever uh, IMDb says, but you've got that time.
0: Uh, it's a 85 production, uh, but it was probably released in 86.
1: Okay. Uh, very, very tricky.
0: It was re- it Manisha. was actually released in uh, Barcelona in eighty five, but had its wider uh, theatrical release in eighty six. It looks
1: like what theaters were showing this like uh, theaters porno... in
0: Barcelona and Madrid at least, like porno theaters or real theaters. Uh, actually, definitely porno theaters, and that okay. kind of feeds into the story here. But okay. the film that we're talking about today is Lulu's Talking Ass, mm-hmm. which. Is one of those films where the title really more or less explains the entire plot of the film. Yes. It is uh, starring Lena or our, our uh, wonderful friend of mm-hmm. several films.
1: Yeah. I think she's credited as Lulu Laverne. In the uh, yes, credits. she is. Okay.
0: Um, and uh, the directing credit here, uh, it's another Jess Franco film, of course, but the directing credit is Candy Coster. All right. Uh, as well as the writing credit, uh, it was actually directed by Jess Franco and written by Jess and Lena Rome.
1: Um, All right. So I didn't know yeah. they both wrote it. That's cool. And Candy Costner, it's Kevin Costner's sister.
0: Uh, it's Coster okay. with no N. Right. But uh, yes, mm. they're probably still related. Okay, good. It's just you know, it's international. The add yeah. or drop a letter sometimes. Yeah, like when Kevin Costner went to Ellis Island. They gave him an extra in on the way in.
1: That's how it happened to me. <laughs> when my parents I don't know who came to Ellis Island. Somebody did, perhaps. Right. Uh my last name is spelled like the way you would spell it in like I guess Germany or wherever we kind of wandered over from. Uh huh. Uh and I learned recently that it hasn't I was like, oh cool. It's like it's it's neat. Apparently it was spelled like The way like certain pretzels are spelled. Okay. And then my grandpa went into the military and the government just changed it to the old way and then (laughs) he was just too lazy to like complain, so that became our last name. (laughs) Which I can see how I'm related to him.
0: That seems like something you would just (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm just like, all right, that's my name now.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's something special that I did not know about you. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: very uh, very special.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a little uh, piece of family history.
0: So, uh, Lulu's Talking Ass again. We're talking about a production in 85, and uh, Shining Sex we talked about last week was produced in 75, I believe. So, 10 years difference here, and there is really, in a lot of ways, some monumental shifts in Jess's career Uh, that have happened to this point. Mm -hmm. We talked a bit before about how back in the early to mid seventies, Jess is making, uh, a dozen films a year at points, sometimes more, sometimes, you know, a few less, but kind of, uh, there was a period of years for sure where he was making tons of films every year. Right. Uh, as we get later on into his career and start getting into the 80s, it becomes a little bit more difficult for Jess to get financing for his films. When we had the 70s going on, yeah. we had a lot of demand for more movies, more movies, more movies, uh, especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood, of course, was still you know financing movies mostly through their studio system, although in the 70s we had... Uh, more of a rise of independent film, and right. even people that we don't think about as independent filmmakers—they started in the '70s independently. Your, your uh, George Lucas, your Spielberg, your uh, Martin Scorsese—all yeah. those people kind of started in that that period of auteur cinema, but later became you know an integral uh, part of the studio yeah, system. Kind
1: of became yeah, absorbed into it,
0: but. While we had that going on in the U.S., there was a huge demand for uh, films worldwide. Uh, One of the things that led to so much production in Europe during that time was just the price of licensing Hollywood films to play uh, was very high. So a lot of countries, you know, they might pick up one or two of the biggest films made in Hollywood, but they're looking for cheaper programming as well. And that's one of the reasons that we saw so much, especially genre cinema in the 70s uh, in Europe. And even the, you know, kind of the the horror films, you know, that was definitely being done in America as well, uh, even in the studios. But in the 70s, we're still kind of seeing the modern horror film kind of forming in America. Yeah, yeah um you know we see the rise of a lot of independent productions like the texas chainsaw massacre uh halloween the first one was totally independent and pretty yep. small budget but we also see a lot of more unsung genre films being made at the independent and regional level in the u.s but the studio system hadn't quite kicked off with the fury that they would in the 80s yep. uh, making all of those genre films and uh, that's one of the reasons that the market was so open as well. As we transition into the 80s, things start changing. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a a bigger emphasis from the studios in America to make horror and other genre films. We get the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street films, which are backed by studios. Uh, the first Friday the 13th technically wasn't made by the studio, but... Paramount got a hold of it and continued to fund the franchise after the first one. But as we see that rise in uh, Hollywood produced genre cinema, we start to see a lower demand worldwide for that uh, cheaper European made cinema. So once we get towards the mid 80s, we start to see a lot less of that horror stuff. But Uh, Horror, of course, wasn't the only genre film kind of being made at the time. It was just one of the easier examples that I had to speak to certain talking points. Yeah. Um, But the same was going on with the uh, erotic films as well. It's a little bit different, though, because we have, you know, bigger production adult films being made in America, whereas Europe was kind of ahead of the curve, especially in the early 70s in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, But with the rise, especially of hardcore films in America, we also started to see bigger budget productions and all of that. But just as American productions of uh, pornography started to get kind of at its peak, we then saw the introduction of home video and the whole financial model of adult films changed in America. Uh, Instead of looking to create films that they're going to play in theaters, uh, the... Average Tom, Dick, and Harry that wanted to watch pornography found the benefits of being able to just buy something that they could watch alone at home instead of having to sit next to other raincoat weirdos in a sticky theater. Which is understandable. Yeah, I guess I get it. But, and, you know, I brought this up on prior episodes as well, but as home video started to trickle to the market, the people that were making these films found that, A... They were no longer making nearly as much money on theatrical presentations of films. And that slowly kind of trickled down over the course of several years. Yeah. But also, they were finding that uh, very low-budget productions that were pretty much all sex and no filler were selling just as well as the very elaborate productions that they had been making for years, and so the... Call was made by a lot of groups to reduce the budget that they were spending on things and just focus on the sex and making product that people like. So they were moving from film to shooting on video. The production time went from, you know, a couple of days, which was already a very short amount of time to make a movie anyway. Yeah. But it went from being a couple of days to we'll shoot it in a day or. We'll shoot like a movie and a half in a day or something like right, that.
1: Right, yeah. We'll just uh, sun up to sundown, just shooting porn. Yeah. It's getting real chafed.
0: Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so we start to see that fall in production value in the US, but we're also seeing the same thing happen in Europe. So in the 70s in Europe, we have Jess Franco making erotic film his bread and butter. Mm hmm. And uh, he is operating kind of on the fringes of the mainstream the whole time. Uh, In a lot of Europe, uh, there's not really much uh, exhibition of hardcore films in the same way there was in America at the time. Yeah. When it came to moving into the hardcore scene, um, Germany seemed to be on it pretty early, but a lot of the countries still were... Kind of uh, conservative when it came to that sort of thing. Yeah, but Jess's films were kind of always. They're kind of soft
1: core, right? To hardcore, like I mean, like we talked like in Shining Sex uh, last week. You get to see a little bit of erection, right? But like as far as penetration, it's just some like Cinemax stuff,
0: right? And you know, Shining Sex would definitely be overall too much for Cinemax but yeah. a lot of, you know, most of the material does kind of fit into that level of softcore. Mm, right. But uh, he had also around that time started making some films that kind of crossed over into the hardcore. When he was making films with Erwin C. Dietrich in Germany he mm-hmm. made a few films that were hardcore. His Marquis de Sade film that he made around that time frame was exhibited both in soft and hardcore cuts and he did okay. shoot the hardcore footage there had been some of his other films previously that had been shot uh softcore and other people came in behind him and like did inserts of hardcore footage
1: right i think that was uh countess perverse had like uh, some inserts that someone had done
0: yeah not the versions that are released now but there right. was a version that right. had hardcore inserts uh put into it that weren't jess's yeah Um, And that probably happened to several of his films in the time frame. Um, But he he did, in that Germany period, uh, make a few hardcore films at the time. But for the most part, his work, you know, him making a few hardcore films in a period that he's making, you know, 10 films a year overall doesn't make up a very high percentage of his films at the time. Right. But as he gets into the mid-80s, he finds himself with a little bit tougher time getting financing uh, than he had in the 70s because of the lower and lower amount of money being put into European productions at the time. But Jess Franco did have kind of a uh, reputation of being able to turn in these erotic films. So the people that were coming to him to make films in this time frame wanted hardcore stuff. Jess and Hardcore didn't really get along super well at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I think we've talked before. He kind of expressed like a distaste for like filming it.
0: Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't a big fan of it. In Flowers of Perversion, uh, Stephen Thrower's second volume of his Jess Franco uh, retrospective, he talks a bit in his entry about Lulu's talking ass about the context of the time frame and. He makes some observations of the time and kind of talks about how Jess had been operating, you know, as I said before, kind of on the fringes of the mainstream and always kind of pushing the boundaries of things. But at the end of the day, his films were, in a lot of cases, being played in mainstream or semi-mainstream theaters, you know, alongside certainly more risque films, but, you know, not just sex films necessarily, once we get into the 80s and Europe starts being more okay with hardcore sex, you know, he's no longer really seen quite as much as a transgressive filmmaker because he's doing what a whole bunch of other people are doing at the same time. And another thing that's happening at the time is because there's this acceptance of sex films, there's now kind of a place for them to happen, these sex film theaters specifically. Uh-huh. So instead of, you know, playing in these more mainstream or pseudo mainstream uh venues that it was he's playing with all the other sex films and what he's doing isn't any more risque than what they're doing at the time yeah so uh steven thrower kind of asserts that it's a possibility that that's one of the reasons that jess wasn't quite as into it as he was in the past because he's no longer being that transgressive voice in a semi-mainstream uh venue he's now
1: just he's just the filth he's another filth merchant
0: exactly he's just another filth merchant and you know there's another thing that Jess kind of has talked about on several occasions in interviews uh he doesn't like watching men and women have sex as much as he likes you know seeing women have sex right uh, and of course that's pretty obvious when you watch a lot of his work sure. uh you know there there is a lot of male female sex but uh it seems a lot less eroticized than his female on yeah, female sex those
1: scenes tend to be yeah shorter i think overall right uh, in general
0: so it, it's kind of in this atmosphere that jess goes to make lulu's talking ass right of course, Lulu's talking ass's name gives you a lot of the conceit of the film. Uh, we get to see Lena Rome's talking ass as the narrator of this film, yeah. who uh, takes us through a a saga of neglect and fulfillment.
1: It's a day in the life.
0: It's a day in the life. That's
1: uh, what the Beatles song was about, even though it was written uh, like twenty years earlier. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I mean, let's look at it this way. Charles Manson saw the Beatles as giving prophecies of yeah. the uh, future, the upcoming race war. Yeah. Uh, Helter Skelter, all that good stuff.
1: And Lulu's talking ass. And
0: uh, one of the things that they had done is before they predicted all of that, they predicted Lulu's talking ass.
1: Wow. A lot of respect for um, them now that I didn't about a minute ago.
0: Well, they're, they are the prophets, And they know the way, Okay. knew the way. Yeah. Some of them still know, at least Paul still knows.
1: Paul knows, Ringo knows. Ringo knows. He's kicking around.
0: George and John, not so much. No. uh, John was already dead when Lulu's talking ass was made.
1: Yeah, he didn't live to see the prophecy fulfilled.
0: He didn't. But uh, I hope Paul, George, and Ringo knew what they had foreseen.
1: They were just in some dirty theater in madrid watching this yeah <laughs> they're like far out we wrote a song about this one <laughs> they don't know how the prophecy is gonna play out i don't think they receive it from uh, god
0: <laughs> that's right
1: and they put it in the song and then people like charles manson and uh mark david chapman and me uh interpret it right according to the will of the being that we serve
0: uh yes
1: yes
0: (laughs) all right well let's uh let's kind of just leave it at that and we'll talk a little bit more about the film as we uh go through it and wrap it up at the end but uh let's take a break and then we'll be back to talk more in depth about lulu's talking ass Assholes. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about assholes. So, okay. Uh, let's talk about Lulu's talking ass. So, One particular ass. Uh, yes. All right. One in particular. I guess there's really not any other assholes that get much attention in this film.
1: No, there's not. Um,
0: so Lulu's talking ass uh, begins with us seeing Lena Romay bent over showing her asshole to the camera. Um, We get our credits on the screen, where she is credited as Lulu Laverne, and as I said before, uh, the film's uh, written and directed by Candy Coster, per the credits. Um, It's at this point that we get to see Lulu's asshole talking to the camera. Yes. Kind of, just kind of pulsating a little bit.
1: Yeah, enough to narrate.
0: Uh, Enough to narrate, yes. Uh, So, in this film, the asshole is voiced by lena rome doing a very uh kind of gravelly uh voice um steven thrower compared it to nails on a chalkboard Uh, that might be a little strong but it's uh it's also not really the most pleasant voice (laughs) either lulu's asshole basically gives a little bit of background talking about how when lulu was younger she was only in charge of uh Doing, as she puts it, dirty deeds. Yeah, the pooping. Uh, Yes. Uh, And said that early in Lulu's life, uh, her pussy was the same. But uh, later on in life, the ass noticed that the pussy was then being used for pleasure. The ass was very jealous of that. She felt like her master's Cinderella, she says. Yes. We then go straight from that into our first sex scene. Where uh, we see a guy and a girl across the room. Um, This is Lola and Pepe, I believe. Okay. Lola is blowing Pepe, and Lulu is across the room. Uh, We get these POV shots through her sheer panties that I guess are supposed to be the assholes POV.
1: I think so. That Uh, That would make sense.
0: As Lulu's just facing her ass towards the people on the other side of the room that are having sex. Yes. Uh, we do eventually see the panties getting pulled down uh, from the POV shot, which is, this is interesting filmmaking here. I've got to give credit there.
1: Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's an interesting film. I think it's better made than it probably has any right to be.
0: (laughs) So uh, Lola is blowing Pepe. He, of course, is totally soft in this scene. Oh my God. Through Uh, most of the scene. Through most of the film. Yeah. Lulu's across the room kind of fingering herself. Uh, Lola and Pepe get into a 69 and he's still soft. Mm -hmm. Pepe calls Lulu to bed with them and Lulu licks the other girl's ass as uh, Lola and Pepe continue to 69. Uh, And then both women are working on Pepe's limp dick. Uh, licking and sucking on it as much as they can. They're so, really doing they're
1: really doing a They're doing a great job for Yeah, a, it's for it's not nothing. a problem. Yeah. It's, it's a, not their problem, rather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not the yeah, it's not their fault. Um they're doing great.
0: <laughs> they move kind of into a, a triangle where all three of them are giving each other oral. After a while Pepe's like thirty percent hard. Yeah. One thing that I noticed is, like, after a little bit, the music cuts out completely and it's just silence in the background. Yes. <laughs> also, I would say that the music in this film is some of my least favorite soundtrack selections of Jess Franco's.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have great music to it. It's kind of wallpapery in a way. like.
0: And, like, I was reading the article uh, that Stephen Thrower had, and he mentioned that, like, several of the musical cues came from other films. And that kind of surprised me because they just, I don't know, I guess maybe it's just the context or something, but usually the music in Jess's films are really on point. Yeah. And here it just, I don't know.
1: It just vanishes after a while. Right. They're like, Um, we played it for so long and you couldn't get hard, and now we're out of music. We can't (laughs) can't loop it.
0: Pepe's still wearing white socks in bed, by the way. (laughs) And uh, he keeps calling them sluts. Which is an interesting move on his part.
1: Yeah, that's what he <laughs> likes to do.
0: This scene goes on for quite a while, and there's like maybe four or five different camera angles that we're switching between. Several of them seem fairly static. Yeah. Just a little bit of movement here and there.
1: There's some good Franco-style close-ups on people's faces and stuff, though.
0: There, There is some. Uh, there is, in this film as a whole, a lot of close-up on genitals. Yes, yes lulu announces that she's coming twice during all of this uh and then we get more voiceover from her asshole saying that it was hoping that lulu would play with it but her asshole notes that she's just despised by everyone (laughs) (laughs) uh eventually we cut to pepe jerking off to finish uh, and he does finally come he's Probably like 50% hard when he comes, but the girls aren't touching him at all at that point. He has to finish himself off, but they, uh, they do lick his cock, uh, afterwards. Yeah.
1: And they do, it's pretty good. Like that is, I think, right? Like there's some like finger sucking the come off type stuff. they, They
0: do a, they do a good job. They're really trying.
1: Yeah. They're professionals. Pepe is really letting them down.
0: So I don't think it was the case here. Maybe. Uh huh. But I know that I've read before that in some of Jess's hardcore films, he casted one or two like gay actors uh-huh. to be in straight sex scenes. Yeah, And uh, I don't think that that was the case with Jose Lamas, who uh, plays Pepe here. Because right. I, w- I was kind of looking again to see if he was who I had read about, and I'm not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. So it probably wasn't him, but... That's probably a poor choice when you're casting for a straight sex film. Yeah. Like, you know, if somebody's like bi or something, that's cool. But, like, yeah. if they're not into women and you're going to cast them to have sex with women, it seems difficult. Especially when, like, they can't really fake having an erection. Yeah. They really tried here.
1: They did. They uh, and on.
0: regardless of what the reason was, uh, Jose really couldn't get it going. He couldn't
1: perform. And Franco's not the kind of guy to do, like, a bunch of takes, so...
0: Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So
1: what you see is what you get. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't like, all right, cut, you know, go... Go fluff up. Go fluff up, go get in your zone, and then come back and fuck these women. Right, he... Just, like, keep sucking. He's not getting hard. We're burning daylight. Right.
0: I imagine that every inch of film he shot for this scene ended up in the film anyway.
1: I could believe that.
0: (laughs) So, at this point, the... Talking ass laments that her neighbor, the pussy, had been satisfied by Lulu and Lola, but she, the asshole, had not been. So, then we see Lulu, Lola, and Rosalinda, another woman, by the pool, having their pictures taken by Pepe, the photographer. Yes. The asshole gives a little background information about Pepe being a photographer, and that's Man, what they were there modeling models. for.
1: That's the, That's the plot narratively that's it
0: yeah now this film has two locations it has Mm -hmm. uh next to a pool and a bedroom yes and that is the entire location uh list of the film yeah which is uh definitely atypical of jess franco's productions
1: yeah normally you've got some cool like mid-century like european buildings or something to kind of gaze upon here you have a pool and a dimly lit dingy bedroom
0: yeah, I'm surprised that there wasn't even like some some shots of the surrounding areas, cutaways or something, because it Maybe just he was seems all
1: really bad outside of the pool. Like he was just <laughs> basically like in like a, a war zone or something.
0: Perhaps.
1: <laughs>
0: so we cut to uh, Lulu's ass smoking a cigarette.
1: Yeah, and that's
0: as she continues to kind of give well, some man... background information. Yeah,
1: um, and that's good that's what doctors say you should if you're going to smoke that's how you need to smoke
0: yeah it, it keeps the smoke out of your lungs
1: yeah it does and then you um, they used to do smoke enemas in like the 18th or 19th century which I think is where the phrase blowing smoke up your ass comes from oh really yeah they would do like tobacco enemas and I don't think they were very good I think they killed some people perhaps that sounds right but they would just puff they would take the puffer and get that smoke up in your colon <laughs> and, uh, that would clean it out somehow. Oh. Can it all dusty? Fusty? Fusty? Yeah, fusty. Excellent. What about fusty old tobacco enemas?
0: Fusty old men.
1: Fusty old men. Fisting old men. Fisting old men. Fisting Gary Oldman.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should make that.
1: Okay, he's dead? No. I think yeah. he's still alive.
0: Is he? I no, don't... he's
1: dead. Is he? I think he died... Wait, no. The other one died. Wakeman.
0: Rick Wakeman?
1: Not the guy from Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because that's how I got mixed up, too. I was like, why is everyone upset the guy from Yes died?
0: (laughs) Gary Oldman is still alive. He's 62. Uh So he would be kind of an old man to get fisted. Okay, yeah. So uh, we'll get in contact with his agent and see what we can get set up.
1: Yeah. He's an old man. It's time to be fisted. He's the same age as my dad. Oh, yeah. But we're not going to fist my dad.
0: I'm not going to take it off the table.
1: Don't fist him on the table.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll fist him on your kitchen table.
1: I'm going to break. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so as this, as this asshole is smoking a cigarette... Uh, We get more information. Lulu and Lola decide that they're going to introduce the young and naive Rosalinda to uh, some sexual pleasure. So we then see Rosalinda looking in a mirror and Lulu and Lola come up behind her and undress her and start to kiss on her legs and ass. Rosalinda lays down in bed and Lulu and Lola kiss on her and play with her. Rosalinda starts to finger Lulu as uh, her and Lola are kissing all over her. Uh, As Rosalinda is fingering Lulu, she brushes her asshole a bit, which uh, the talking ass is very delighted by. (laughs) Uh, And as Lulu is... Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, that's not Rick Wakeman or any Wakeman.
1: You can see why I get mixed up, though.
0: Alan Rickman was the terrorist and... Die Hard.
1: Rick Wakeman played on some of the best prog rock albums of the 70s.
0: Right. And Gary Oldman was the terrorist in Air Force One.
1: Yes. And Dracula.
0: And he was the terrorist in Dracula.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Count Dracula was a terrorist, really. I mean, he impaled a lot of people, like the real one. Yeah. It's pretty terroristic. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Get back to the assholes.
0: As uh, Lulu's going down on Rosalinda, uh, Rosalinda starts to really rub Lulu's ass. Uh, They continue on, Lulu, Lola, and Rosalinda for a while. And uh, at one point, Lulu and Lola start to make out, and Rosalinda starts to lick Lulu's ass. uh, Which, of course, Lulu's talking ass is very delighted by. Yeah, of course. Rosalinda continues to eat Lulu's uh, vagina and ass. Uh, And she eventually gets a finger into Lulu's ass uh, while she continues to lick the rim of it.
1: And Lulu's ass loves it.
0: Yeah, her ass is giggling with delight. (coughs) And her ass says that she knew that everything would be different now. And she owed it all to Rosalinda, that young girl. So we then see the three girls back by poolside. Perhaps even the exact same shots we saw earlier, I'm not sure.
1: They kind of, they probably are... All that stuff was shot at once.
0: I'm sure. Lulu's talking ass does, uh, as they're showing those shots, uh, make a comment about how Pepe was kind of a creative hack, more or less, uh, and talks shit about his photography. Uh, We cut to a slow zoom-in on Lulu's asshole. (laughs) Um, Her ass explains that Lulu was going to take a nap. But she found herself very horny, so she started to masturbate. And uh, her ass was surprised that she started to play with it, too. So we see her roll around in bed, rubbing her vagina and ass. And this is when we get to the most iconic scene in this film. Yes. Uh, as she's masturbating in the bed, we get a slow uh, look across the room at an Oscar statue
1: kind of like a does he has a sword does the real oscar have a sword
0: i don't know it might be a knockoff oscar i think it's
1: a knockoff
0: but uh, whatever
1: spain's equivalent is
0: uh it's a goya would be the spanish oscar um i'm not sure that that's what a goya looks like though
1: goya is um like a big uh frightening goat's head oh yeah yeah uh
0: we then see lulu get up and she goes and grabs the oscar and uh, she kind of gets back in bed and rubs it against her clitoris a bit and then uh, around the rim of her ass and then she finally shoves the statue's head into her ass. Hell yeah. And we hear some high-pitched, somewhat grating uh, howls of excitement from yes. Lulu's ass. Uh, and there's a slow zoom in on her asshole as she slowly pulls it out. And then her ass makes a comment that After being ignored forever, she got some attention, and then in a few hours, I was awarded an Oscar, she says. (laughs) Stephen Thrower in the book makes a comment that he would have found that very amusing if they had played that clip when they awarded Jess Franco his Lifetime Achievement Goya Award. (laughs) Uh,
1: That would have been very funny.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, So Lula's ass... Talked about how she was excited to meet Pepe again, despite him ignoring uh, her in the past, because her ass realized that Lulu was now convinced of uh, the pleasures of her anus, I guess. Yeah. So, then we see Pepe fucking Lulu missionary with a sort of floppy dick. Uh, It was harder than earlier, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, he pulls out and he comes... It's at that point that we hear uh, Lulu's pussy for the first time, uh, voiced by Jess Franco. Okay. <laughs> uh, the pussy taunts the ass, saying it had gotten all the attention in the uh, the cum.
1: Yeah, it did get all the cum.
0: And uh, taunts Lulu's ass for not getting even a taste of it. Uh, Lulu's ass said that it that she knew that it wasn't over and that it would get attention, and she was right. Um, So we get a shot of Lulu blowing Pepe, and it's this long, slow zoom towards her ass. Lulu asks Pepe if he'd like to fuck her ass, and he says yes. So he gets behind her and uh, fucks her. Yeah,
1: he fucks her ass.
0: Yes, and uh, I was surprised here because he apparently got hard enough to give her butt sex.
1: If he's a gay man, maybe it's more familiar territory for him. Perhaps. Um, I don't know. I don't think uh, that's probably not a great argument.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm also not sure that he's gay. Let's slander him, uh,
1: Marco Lama. Uh, it's it's Jose Lamas. Jose Lamas. So uh, slander him and his llamas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lulu's ass in her voiceover says that compared to having a strong cock uh, running in and out of you, everything else has little value. Then we see uh, her ass and pussy argue a bit more. Yeah, and uh, Lulu's ass makes the comment that this was Lulu's sexual makeover. So then we get this scene where Lulu, Rosalinda, and Sabrina, this other girl who appears out of nowhere, sure, um, are blowing two guys. One of them is supposed to be Rosalinda's boyfriend. And I'm not sure if the other one was Pepe or somebody else altogether.
1: I think um, I can't remember. I don't. I, I, I wasn't paying that much attention to their faces. There was a talking asshole. There
0: was. Um, there it's... weren't many shots of their faces sure. in this. The guys are kind of just laying next to each other in bed, and the the girls are taking turns blowing the two of them, teaming up together. At one point, one of them says, I love your boyfriend, Sabrina. So I was like, oh, okay, this is a different girl altogether than earlier. Because I thought it was Lola at first, but...
1: It's not Sabrina.
0: It's Sabrina, and uh, one of these was her boyfriend, apparently. So Much like the earlier sex scenes, there's a lot of moaning and soft dick in this scene. Uh, We do get a pan across the room to the Oscar again. Just kind of a, a subtle nod to the earlier scene. Yes. Uh, Then we pan back to the two guys going down on two of the girls. So Rosalina is between Lulu and Sabrina, and uh, the guys are going down on Lulu and Sabrina while one of them's kind of fingering Rosalina in the middle. Sure. And uh, so the three girls are laying next to each other on the bed, and the two guys are on their knees on the floor leaning over and going down on the girls in the bed and they kind of shuffle back and forth uh, going down on the three girls.
1: It's a mishmash of bodies.
0: Uh, Yes. One of the guys uh, starts to fuck Rosalinda's uh, vagina uh, with a soft dick uh, while another guy puts his soft dick in her mouth. Then we see Sabrina sucking both cocks while Lulu starts to fuck her with a dildo that has a banana stem on the end of it. Uh-huh. Which I think could be a reference to Jess's earlier uh, film, The Hot Nights of Linda, where uh, a girl is fucked with a banana. In that,
1: uh, it could be. I've um, seen that one.
0: Uh, it's it's I mean it's as interesting as any of his other films. I yeah. would say it's kind of a middle of the road Jess Franco film, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Sabrina is, uh, stroking both of the guys, um, as if they're about to come in her mouth, but they don't. Then we see Lulu's vagina as, uh, she's, uh, riding a dick. Uh, and then another person's finger goes into her ass, uh, and she's also blowing the other dude. Uh, we get some doggy-style sex with Lulu, vaginal sex, uh... Some shots of her looking at the camera. And then we see the guy that was fucking her pull out and come on her ass. Lulu's ass said that at last it had felt, uh, as sh- she puts it, the delicious juice simultaneously hot and refreshing.
1: <laughs> Gross. Uh, Not a great description of cum. <laughs>
0: um, she says... Uh, From now on, my partner and I will share in equal parts the delights of love and for many years to come. Uh, Then we see Lulu laying on the bed, spreading her ash cheeks, covered in cum. And there's a zoom out. And then what happens is in the shot, the lights in the room just go out, but there's still like 5% light in the room. Yeah. And then the camera just kind of drifts and then it cuts out and then we see Finn on the screen. Yes. And that is the end of the film. (laughs) Uh, And that was Lulu's Talking Ass. Alright, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts on Lulu's Talking Ass. that entertaining i'm all right you're the steve urkel of the podcast no (laughs) (laughs) is that your steve urkel
1: that's his catchphrase (laughs) (laughs) remember that in tgif uh yeah (laughs) uh
0: it's It's worth noting that uh, Steve Urkel was a side character on Family Matters, and it was only the uh, fan response that turned him into a main character on the series.
1: Why I'm the main character on the show.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah,
1: fan response is all to me, because I handle all the fan response.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess that's (laughs) how that works. Yeah. Uh, Uh,
1: And they all say, we love him. Love that boy. And his catchphrase. Eh.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that's as good a reason as any to uh, turn things over to you, uh, Mm -hmm. the star of the podcast, to give your thoughts on Lulu's Talking Ass.
1: To be quite frank, I love Lulu's Talking Ass. I think it's definitely a film that lives up to its title. Uh, It might not always exceed that expectation of what a talking ass can be, but if what you want is a talking ass, then this film delivers.
0: Right, I and guess it so.
1: Delivers in the inimitable just Franco style. It's obviously like a lazier uh, film than like uh, Shining Sex or anything where you probably have like more of a budget. Right. But uh, so a lot of the Franco are there in their way. You've got a little bit of decide stuff with this kind of master servant relationship between Lulu and her butthole that at least the butthole <laughs> seems to think exists. Right. Um, she's like, everyone despises me and I'm mistreated. I'm her <laughs> prisoner. <laughs> uh, and you've got that kind of like weird power couple that Franco films tend to have in the form of Lulu and Lola. Right. Cause they're always doing their weird sexual things together. Like they're trying to like seduce Rosalinda, Rosalinda's and Pepe's and Sabrina's, all those kinds of people. And then style wise, it's pretty Franco ish. It's got some neat, nifty camera tricks. uh, Some of those textbook zoom in shots on faces, but a lot more uh, vaginas and assholes here. Right. So on that level, I I think it, I think it works as a Franco film, Uh, as a porn film. It leaves something to be desired, I think, typically just because the male talent can't seem to really get it up. And I don't really, I don't want to really blame them for it. I'm not sure what Franco's style was at the time, but he wasn't like a veteran of like the hardcore film circuit in the way that like uh, Bob Chen would be. Right, right. Um, It was an erotic film, but he probably wasn't focused on the necessity of giant boners.
0: Right, right.
1: Um (laughs) In that regard, it's kind of iffy, but presenting it all, like, through, like, the only character who has, like, any motivation or agency that's really explained is the butthole. Right. Um, and that alone makes it um, unique. And it being just at or under an hour also helps. Right. You get what Franco's going for. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then you get to see Lena Romay's asshole just covered in cum.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's pretty great. So for me, uh I don't know, maybe I was just in a good mood when I watched it, but I'm gonna give it a four. Okay. Um, officially I think it does deserve an Oscar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um I saw Lulu's talking ass for the first time, uh probably a little over a year ago or so. Uh When I heard that there was a Jess Franco film that was a hardcore film where we got to see Lena Romay's talking ass tell the story the whole time, I thought to myself, this this sounds like my shit. This is going to be a great film, a delight to watch. Uh, And I was on my first watch massively disappointed with this film Mm -hmm. and revisiting it. I think I had a better impression of it this time, but at the same time, it also reinforced a lot of the things that I didn't like about this film. Yeah. One thing that I kind of uh, had brought up before was the soundtrack. You know, one of the things that really helps with Jess Franco's style is uh, kind of hypnotic kind of either either jazzy or bluesy uh yeah. kind of rocky kinda things
1: psychedelic sort right. of right yeah yeah
0: to kind of bring that kind of psychedelic atmosphere to things and you know of course we're breaching the mid-80s so psychedelic music isn't exactly in vogue at the time no but at the same time i've seen he some of the
1: synthesizers those were popping off in the 80s uh they were yeah.
0: But I've also seen films from near this period, at least, like, there's a couple in 83 mm-hmm. that uh, Severin put out, which were uh, Night of Open Sex mm-hmm. and uh, Cries of Pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I recall both of them having pretty solid soundtracks. So, regardless, uh, I was kind of disappointed with that because I don't feel like the music did anything to give this film a particular tone.
1: yeah. We
0: have Jess Franco doing a bit of Jess Franco cinematography here, yeah. but at the same time, I also feel like this is some of his weaker work in that respect as well. Yeah, like he's he's still doing his like zooms and his kind of slow pans and his his uh, real close up stuff, and then panty you know, cam, panty cam,
1: panty cam. Asshole cam, whatever you want to call it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There. I mean, he definitely gets points for that. Yeah. That that uh shot through the panties. That was a very smart move on his part. But I, I just feel like this film lacks an energy that his other films have. Uh, that well, a lot of his other films. Like, cause at the end of the day, I'm sure this isn't his worst film. No. But, and I guess really it's not the worst film of his that I've seen, probably. It's, for me, though, in the discussion, because of various things about it. Like, I, I guess talking about the energy of the film is a, is a good thing. Because, like, it doesn't necessarily have a certain tone that it strikes. Like, the only character in the story really is Lulu's ass. Like, yeah. you get the vagina talk to her briefly... And you get these, like, minor interactions between the human characters, but not yeah. really. Yeah. It's really just her ass wants attention, and then it gets attention, and then it's very happy. Yeah. And, and and even if that was, like, the only, like, shortcoming of the film was that it just narratively had that going for it, you know, I could still get my head around it, but there's there's other things going on here. I feel like the film completely fails at being erotic.
1: Um Maybe that's one of the things I liked about it. I don't know. It's just I mean it's, maybe. It's just like a very not sexy sex film about a talking butthole. It's just Right. One of those just very I don't know, just one of those really out there things that catches me in right. a way.
0: You know, I mean, the the thing is, and, and per, perhaps the reason that I was so disappointed on my first watch particularly was because on paper this film had everything I wanted in it.
1: Yeah, I think I'd heard about it when I first got into Franco like a decade ago and had kind of been waiting to watch it for a while. So I'm glad I finally saw it. Right. Definitely. Um, but it's definitely one of those things you can, you can definitely build up like a certain level of like anticipation that it could never possibly deliver
0: Right And it fails in eroticism uh, Especially all the, the limp dicks There's nothing that says I should be aroused in a scene More than a bunch of limp dicks <laughs> like, Especially when there's multiple limp dicks in a scene
1: They're just all soft Everyone <laughs> was just too um, I don't know Whatever. What, what drugs were they doing in the 80s that, Coke probably Does coke always kill your boner?
0: I don't know I mean it killed John uh, Holmes' boner
1: it did kill John Holmes as a boner. Okay, well, maybe they did too much coke. But they did a bunch of coke when they made Dracula sucks, and most of them got boners. That's true. But Jamie Gillis is a professional. Yeah. He could get a boner from probably most things.
0: Yeah, I think his default state is boner.
1: Like, he sees just, like, a well-shaped, like, loaf of bread, and he gets, like, an erection. You know, that right. kind of thing. <laughs> okay, so we, I'm not going to fault their... But, yeah, they, they did... It's not erotic in a porn film that I have a boner. You need a boner.
0: Right. I mean, you know, it could be a scene that doesn't include a penis at all, but a
1: soft dick in particular. There should be a boner somewhere in the background. (laughs) Like in um, The Little Mermaid when the priest has the boner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, just like that. But overall, I guess this film just kind of, it, it fails at the... The visual psychedelia that uh, Jess accelerates at, particularly in his 70s films, but even into the 80s in his films, I, I see it. And in the sex scenes, like, nobody seems to be having that great of a time. Yeah. Like, uh, Lena Romay, the consummate professional that she is, really tries, I feel like. Yeah. And, uh... I don't I wouldn't say that nobody else tries, but at the end of the day nobody's successful. But I will say that I mean, I love a good B movie. Yes. I appreciate a unique concept in motion, uh, even when it turns out kind of bad. On paper it was a great idea, and we did get to see more naked Lena Romeo, which I'm always a fan of, but You know, at the end of the day, I wasn't moved by this in the way that I'm moved by a lot of Jess's work, but I will say that this is something that I will never forget. Um, So at the end of the day, my overall rating is three stars.
1: All right. I was expecting a 2.5 from you, so.
0: I was kind of uh, on the fence between the two. I gave it a four
1: and I pushed you away. I'll give you a little push. Now watch out, I'm going to throw a knife at you. No, don't throw a knife at me. It's the end of the podcast. It's time to throw weapons at you.
0: Shit. Well, uh, I guess that's it for us this week. Uh, if you like what we do here, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, tell a friend. Have them listen to us. Uh, the
1: terror in his eyes. He's just he's
0: still swinging the knife in my direction. Finish plugging. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at RaincoatReport. Uh, Raincoat report at gmail.com. We're still out there looking for your homemade porn uh, or uh, oh, yeah. any found pornography that yeah, you find give us in us your their walls.
1: Found- yeah, send us the wallenographies. The wallenographies? The wallenography, <laughs> yeah. Oh, a, okay. Uh, yeah.
0: You know, hook us up. We'll talk about it on the show. Franco February is continuing. We have uh, two more episodes to go.
1: It's a short month.
0: It's a short month, but. It's going to be delightful, and I'm sure we'll revisit Jess Franco on this show in the future, perhaps next February, but in the meantime, probably at least once or twice as well. Yeah. In between.
1: it has got a lot of movies. There's a lot to cover.
0: Yeah, we've got to cover all 180-whatever
1: movies or whatever it really is. They're not all erotic, though.
0: That's true. We gotta cover all 150 of his movies that are erotic.
1: Okay, anything with a nipple counts.
0: Oh shit! <laughs> well, at least that means we can talk about uh, Bloody Moon.
1: Okay, yeah, let's talk about Bloody Moon.
0: Uh, let's do it now.
1: All right, Bloody Welcome. Moon's a great movie. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, every time I put on Bloody Moon, I've fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Okay, well that'll do it for Bloody Moon, but uh, I recommend watching Bloody Moon if you haven't. It's Jess Franco's attempt at a slasher, and uh, it's still very Jess Franco. Uh, Not quite as uh, sexual as a lot of his other movies, especially the ones we've talked about, but uh, there's some titties, and uh, it's amazing to see what Jess Franco does in a slasher. That's it.
1: That's it. So, um...
0: We want to thank our listeners once again for following us, sticking by us through these tough times. Um, We appreciate your enthusiasm about Franco February. We want to remind you not to let your asshole smoke in fear of cancer. And don't forget your raincoat.
1: A partir de ahora, mi camarada y yo compartiremos por igual las delicias del amor para muchos años.